Welcome to Frontline Church South OKC Sermon Podcast. Each week we will have new sermon content from Sunday mornings, both video and audio options. Please visit south.frontlinechurch.com for more information. If you have any questions, need prayer, or have any other needs at all, please email hello at frontlinechurch.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. The scripture for today's teaching is Mark 3, 20 through 35. Then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him for they were saying he is out of his mind. And the scribes who came from Jerusalem were saying he is possessed by Beelzebul and by the prince of demons, he cast out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan had risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about to those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. This is the word of God to us. Thanks be to God. All right, you guys can take a seat. Good morning. My name is Sean. I get to serve as one of the pastors here. And uh, you guys are looking at me like, Are we seriously about to do that passage today? We're doing it. We're doing it. Uh, we are in a series uh, on the Gospel of Mark, and uh, we're just working through the Gospel uh, just verse by verse. And what that means is a couple of things. It means we don't get to skip the hard parts. When we uh, get to a, a, a passage of Scripture that just feels like, man, what do we do with this? We don't get to skip over it, but we actually have to dive into it, and we have to say, this is the Word of God to us. <laughs> what, is it? what do we do with this? Uh, the other thing that it means for me is, uh, honestly, if you, were, if you were like a pastor in our church and you were, you were scheduling a sabbatical and you wanted to leave like the weirdest passage for someone else, like you would be able to look at the calendar and know exactly when to like pull out, you know? So thanks for that, Pastor Andrew. Love you very much. Honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited uh, to, to dig into this with you today because I think there are actually, for what feels maybe kind of complex... I think there are some simple truths that the Spirit of God would speak to us, his people today. So could we pray? Can we ask him to do that? Father, this is your word. And we believe that it's true. And we believe that all of this word is breathed out by you. And it's profitable for us for teaching and for correction and God, that you would lead us and you would guide us and you would help us to know how to live 
life in this crazy place. And so today, as we open up the very word of God, we pray that you would, Spirit, you would come and you would help us understand it and uh, listen to it and be courageous enough to obey it. We need your help to do all that. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So Mark chapter three, we're moving through the book of Mark and we're, we're just looking at the entire life of Jesus. We're looking at the ministry of Jesus. We're looking at the, the things that he came to say and the things that he came to do. And we're only in chapter three. And what we're seeing, what we're experiencing right now is that everyone is trying to make sense of Jesus. Everyone has these theories. They're listening to the things that he's saying. They're seeing the things that he's doing. And everyone's coming up with their own theory about what's happening. And this whole passage is really uh, revealing the work of the Spirit. And I think the big idea that we see here is that in the midst of messiness, in the midst of what feels kind of crazy, uh, there's crowds pressing in, and there's all these people saying these different things, and it's so crowded that they can't even get to the food. And, uh, and it's like in the midst of the messiness, the Spirit of God is working, and the kingdom of God is advancing. And uh, Jesus is doing this ministry by the power of the Spirit, and it looks messy, but he really is working. And um, that feels familiar to me. <laughs> That feels encouraging to me. Like in the middle of a mess, the Spirit of God can work and the kingdom of God can be advanced. So Jesus, he's drawing these crowds. And the truth is, like over the last three verses, people have started, the last three chapters, people have started to see this guy, Jesus. They're starting to see him perform miracles. And he's saying things like, your sins are forgiven. And you know, people are starting to crowd around him. The crowd is building bigger and bigger. And, and everyone, everybody that's there is there with mixed motives, aren't they? Like there are some people that are there because they really want to get close to Jesus. And there's some people that are there, they just want to see what's going on. They want to see what all the, all the fuss is about. And there are some people that are there because they want to point fingers and they want to accuse him. And it's kind of like our church today. Man, people are here for, for different reasons. And uh, everybody has a theory about who Jesus is. Maybe you've heard of the Jesus trilemma. Uh, this is something that, that C.S. Lewis kind of popularized and, and made famous. And basically, it's, a, it's an argument that you go through the, the entire New Testament and you're really only given three choices about who Jesus is. He's either a lunatic, he's crazy, or he's a liar, or he really is the Lord that he says he is. And uh, this is the most clear place in Scripture where we're given those three, three categories. I want you to read with me. This is the way that C.S. Lewis states it. Some will say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept him or his claim to be God. This is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. So 
here's the deal. We have these people and they're saying, we, we see the family of Jesus and they're like, he's crazy. And we're seeing the Pharisees and they're like, he's a liar. He's a demon. He's possessed. And the current theory actually in our culture that we are living in is that Jesus was this wonderful teacher and he worked to unite people and to show people love and peace. And ultimately what he really wanted to do was he wanted to show all of us that we have, we have the strength inside of ourselves to just kind of find our own truth and to live our best lives. And Jesus, he was, he was so kind, he would never actually tell us how to live our lives or place any restrictions on what it means to follow him or to know God. He's far too tolerant for that. He just wants us to know peace and to be happy in our own way, right? That's the water that we're swimming in. That's the culture that you and I live in. This is just not an option that Jesus gives to us. He plainly stated who he is again and again, and so our options about what we're going to believe are really reduced to those three things, and those are the three things that we see uh, being opened up as categories for who Jesus might be in Mark chapter 3. So he's either lunatic, liar, or Lord, but in the midst of the messiness, the kingdom of Jesus is moving forward. So I want to give you three things that the Spirit of God does in these few verses that we've just read, and Jesus is kind of, he's pulling the curtain back on the way that things work in the kingdom of heaven uh, by the work of the Spirit. So if you and I were just making this story up, right? If, uh, if, we, were, if we were John Mark 2,000 years ago and we were like, hey, let's make up a story about a guy and let's say that he was the Messiah. Let's tell this great story, say that this guy was God. It, it really wouldn't make a lot of sense for us to write it the way that he did because he starts out by saying even his own family thought that he was crazy. That's not like a story that a lot of people are going to believe or buy into. And so uh, what I want us to see is when the kingdom of God is advancing, listen to me, when the kingdom of God is advancing, the work of the spirit often looks crazy, doesn't it? I see you nodding your heads. It looks crazy when God is working. Look at verse 20. It says, then he went home and a crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, They went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. They're going out to take him by force. That's literally what this means. His family is going to bind him up and drag him away because they're like, he's lost his mind. He's, He's talking crazy talk right now. What is interesting to me about this about the, the people in this town and about the, the people that were the family of Jesus saying that he was crazy, saying that he's lost his mind, is that these are good Jewish kids. This is a good Jewish family. They knew their Old Testament. They actually would have known that the way that God works is almost exclusively crazy looking. Like, think about the Old Testament. Think about the signs. Think about the wonders Uh, One place, uh, and we can't go through, you know, we're not going to dive through the entire Old Testament to look at this, but just think about Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11 is one place in the New Testament that just kind of outlines, here are some crazy ways that God worked. It says, by faith, Abraham, he wandered out into the middle of nowhere, expecting and waiting on an inheritance from God. He carried his son to the top of a mountain and just knew that if God, that if he did die, God would bring him back to life. That's crazy. By faith, Sarah received power to conceive a child well beyond the years of bearing children. By faith, Moses considered the reproach of Christ even greater than all of the treasure in Egypt. And he takes the people of God and he leads them 
through the Red Sea while the waters are parted. That sounds crazy. By faith, the people of God marched around the city of Jericho and the walls just fell. Okay? These are the stories that they knew. And there are hundreds of others. They saw God worked and it seemed like it was crazy. And, uh, and here they are. They see Jesus start to speak and start to say things and start to heal people. And they're like, he's out of his mind. He, he must be crazy. What is really striking to me about this passage, think about this with me, is Mary. Mary, the mother of Jesus. She knows, doesn't she? Like everybody else may be going, I don't understand what he's saying. He's crazy. But Mary didn't think he was crazy. Remember, Mary is the one who had the, the, the uh, angel Gabriel show up to her 30 years ago. And Gabriel speaks the destiny and the story and the life of Jesus over Mary and says, the one that's inside of you is the very son of God. Mary knew. Mary knew exactly what Jesus had come to do. And, uh, and I think one of the things that, that's interesting about this is that the things that are happening in Mark chapter 3, like when Jesus starts to do the miracles, he starts to say the things that he's saying, it's actually not the first time that he's done a miracle. The first time that Jesus does any miracles, we see in, uh, in, John, in John chapter 2, um, and it tells us this was the first miracle that Jesus performed. Do you remember what it was? There's a, wet, there's a wedding. And, uh, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, she's like involved in planning the wedding somehow. And she like, she pulls Jesus aside. She's like, hey, come over here. I, I need to talk to you. <laughs> um, like more people came than RSVP'd. And we are seriously out of wine. And like the party is just starting. This is not a good thing. And Jesus, what does he do? He takes like these huge pots of water and turns them into wine. And everybody's like, this guy is amazing. He's the life of the party. We ran out of wine and he gave us more wine. And it's good, like it's better wine than what we had before. But the moment that things start to feel like the miracles aren't going to make Jesus the life of the party but they're actually going to make Jesus the guy that everybody wants to turn on and kill. She's like, I don't know. I'm not sure about this. I, I didn't see it going this way, Jesus. Like, why does it have to be like this? We've got to get him out of here. We've got to have a family intervention because this is not how I thought this was going to go. She was great to see Jesus as the son of God when everything was popular. But when things start to feel scary, she's like, hold on, that's my son. I'm his mom. I got to protect him now. And I wonder today what Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, is asking us to do that we think seems crazy, that just seems like too much. We want to follow Jesus, but not when things start to go really weird and different than we thought. Look, I am in when Jesus wants to pour the wine. I am in when Jesus wants to have a party. If the miracle is a party, let's celebrate all that God wants to do. Amen. Right? But what about when God, by the power of the Spirit, starts to do things that we weren't ready for? What about when he starts to ask us about our sexuality? Hold on. What if the Spirit of God comes to us and wants to ask us about the way that we're spending our money or the way that we're spending our time? Or the way that we're interacting with others? What about when he comes to ask us about the way that we treat those that we stand to be hurt by? What about when he comes and speaks to us about the way that we treat those we stand to benefit from? Hey, Hebrews 11, 
that, that hall of fame of faith, that chapter, it says that sometimes the people of God shut the mouths of lions and sometimes they were sawn in two. Sometimes it doesn't go the way that we thought it was going to go. And when we, we begin to think that the work of God in our lives is too scary, we begin to think that maybe he's asking us to do too much, or we begin to think that maybe the spirit of God has left us, is not actually present with us, is no longer working in our lives. Hey, listen to me. We've got to lift our eyes higher because this is what he says to us clearly in Isaiah 55. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And when the, when the work of God, when the kingdom of God is advancing, the work of the Spirit often looks crazy. We need to be okay with that. Second thing I want us to see, the work of the Spirit is always exalting Jesus. Look at verse 22. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he casts out demons. And he called to them and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, then indeed he may plunder his house. Hey, so one of the things that I've taken away from this passage as I've been studying it again this week is just the, the strange way that Jesus engages conflict. Like he's so patient. Did you notice that? He's so patient to call them to himself. Like, I, I don't know how you react when someone speaks ill of you, I don't know how you react when like someone slanders you from a distance. You kind of like hear it through the grapevine. Um, I don't know like if you've ever had somebody call you really evil or say that everything that you say is a lie. By the way, like if you want to, if you haven't experienced that and you want to try that, we would love to like help you explore whether or not you might be called to ministry because that's something that will absolutely happen to you. And let me just tell you like when that happens to me, when I hear like, Man, the, you know, what I'm, what I'm hearing about you is that you've totally lied or that you've deceived or that you didn't do what you said you were going to do. The first reaction I have is to not, like, call those people over to my house for a picnic. I would love to talk to you guys. Just come over. That's not the way I react. But the way that Jesus reacts, man, he's so calm. He's so patient. It says that he calls him to himself, and he begins to reason with him. He's like, hey, guys, I, I heard what you are saying with, uh, about me. And uh, I'd like to gently just talk to you about that. I hear the things that you're saying, and I just want to point out to you, I don't, the things that you're saying just don't make any sense. Come and let's reason together. I know that you're confused, and I know that some of the stuff that you're seeing me do looks kind of scary, and I know that some of it feels kind of weird, and I just want to say, like, I, I understand why you would start to come up with your own theories, because that actually feels better than saying that you don't understand me but I just want to help you understand and see who I really am. Come on, come and sit down with me. I want, to, I want to talk to you about this. And he says, a kingdom divided against itself, it just can't stand. 
You really think that the way Satan would work is to send a messenger to come and undo the work that he's doing? That doesn't make sense, does it? He's like, hey, you can't go um, build like a battle tower or build a kingdom and like the next day send somebody else to tear it down. That's just not going to work. It's not going to work. And so he's reasoning with them. And he says, let's just think about this for a minute. And he starts to use parables and metaphors of kingdom and battle. And it might make sense for our culture to maybe switch the metaphor to sports or something like you can, if you can imagine a team that is working against itself to make certain like every single year they have no chance of making it to the Super Bowl, like we would just go, that, that's called the Dallas Cowboys. And we would say, it makes no sense. Like, why would they keep doing the same thing? It makes no sense. We would look at that and, uh, and we would go, hang on a second, we need to rethink this. And what I, what I see happening here is, uh, is Jesus, he starts to come to them and, and this is where, you know, you have the people at the beginning and they're saying he's crazy and then you have the Pharisees in the middle of the story and they're like, we think that he's lying and he's actually the devil and Jesus starts to reveal to them, I'm actually, I'm actually neither of those things. I'm Lord of all. Look at what he says. He starts to talk about who he is and why he came. The strong man has to be bound before his house can be plundered. I, I first read that and I'm like, Jesus, what are you talking about? The, the strong man needs to be bound up before his house can be plundered. So listen to me, the language of the strong man in the house. Like the first time when I was a kid and I, I, would, read, I would hear that story, I just thought about like some strong guy like in, in his own house, like a guy that lived alone and like all he ever did was lift weights. You know, he's just like waiting for somebody to come try something. That's not actually what Jesus is giving us here. He's giving us the language of kingdom. He's giving us the language of battle. And he's saying there's this imagery of a kingdom. There's a strong man who has a kingdom. And he's got strong walls built up. And in the center of the kingdom is the strong man. And he has, in his kingdom, he has servants. And he has slaves. And he has people that have to bow down to him. And he has people that belong to him. They are enslaved to him. And they're the plunder. And it's like Jesus is saying, you think I'm doing these works to heal and forgive people by the power of Satan or by the power of Beelzebul, the prince of demons? Let me talk to you for a moment about the prince of darkness. There is a real enemy who is a real strong man that has bound captives. There is a real enemy who the people of God and all of creation need to be rescued from. But I'm not the prince of darkness. I'm the one that's coming to do the rescue. You got to see this. You got to see I'm somebody different than who you thought I was. I'm the one who's come to bind the strong man that has set out to enslave all of mankind. And he just, he lifts their eyes. Think about the world that you're living in, guys. Think about the stronghold of addiction. Think about the stronghold of poverty, crushing people and families. Think about the stronghold. Think about the problem of violence. Think about broken homes and broken hearts. Think about fear and disease and death. Jesus is saying, you need to not think of me as a crazy person, as a lunatic, or as a liar who's possessed. You need to also ask, do you think that, a, a t that what we need here is a teacher who's go going to come and fix all that? Do you really think that someone who's primarily concerned about coming to share peace and love is going to bind up the strong man that's holding all of us captive? That's not what we need either. 
Jesus says there's this thing that's different that I've come to do here. It's way bigger than anything that you could have imagined or all the things that you think I might be here to do. I'm coming to bring freedom. Hey, do you remember over in Luke chapter 4, the beginning of Jesus' ministry? It would have been right around the same time. Jesus walks into the synagogue and uh, it's like his turn to get up and he gets the scroll and he reads. This is what it says in Luke chapter 4. He came to Nazareth, Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is what Jesus came to do. He's, he's like plainly stating, you're in captivity. You're enslaved to the strong man, and I've come to set you free. This is really better news than me being a crazy person or a, or a, a demon-possessed man. And this is the work of the Spirit that's helping us to see and exalt Jesus. Jesus actually told us, there's this whole thing in John chapter 16 where he's explaining, hey, this is why you need the Spirit of the living God to come and live with you. One of the things that he says in, in John 16 is verse 14. He says, the spirit will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the work of the spirit of God helping us to see Jesus in our own hearts, in our own minds, in our own lives and exalt him for who he really is. The work that the spirit of God is doing, if they'll open up their ears and open up their eyes is exalting who Jesus really is. So we know that that's what the Spirit of God is doing. But Jesus, he looks at them and he warns them. And this is where things start to get a little bit weird. He looks at them in the eyes and he warns them. This is fascinating to me because what we see here, there's this interplay of the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of men because he knows their hearts. He actually is like sitting them down to warn them and try to reason with them. But he knows they're already plotting and planning his death, aren't they? Like he knows that. And yet, in his love and in his kindness, he starts to warn them and he gives to them verse 28, truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but he's guilty of an eternal sin. Now, we gotta unpack verse 29. I know that. We got to get there. But if we only focus on verse 29, we are missing some really good news. The craziest thing that Jesus says here is not that there's an unforgivable sin. Like we would do well to remember that all sin has separated us from God and all sin is deserving of no forgiveness. The craziest thing by far that Jesus says is that any sins can be forgiven. And he even says all sins can be forgiven. What Jesus is saying is, there's nothing that you can do that will take you outside the bounds of my love 
and my forgiveness. But, verse 29, he's saying, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to open your eyes to offer to you that forgiveness. And if you reject that forgiveness, you're not forgiven. Hey, I have come to actually rescue you from the strong man. I've come to take you from all that has set you into captivity. But if you reject the rescue, you are not rescued. He's saying it plainly. But if you've not rejected that rescue, there's some really good news for you. 1 John 5.18 says that the evil one, the strong man, can't touch us when we're born of God. That's good news. In 1 John chapter 1 Here's the promise that we have. But for all who do receive, they're given a promise that cannot be taken, the right to be called sons and daughters of God, to be his true family. And this is the third thing that I want us to see. The work of the Spirit, man, it looks crazy sometimes. The work of the Spirit is always helping us to see Jesus and exalt Jesus. And thirdly, the work of the Spirit creates true family. Look at verse 31. And his mother and his brothers came, standing outside, they sent to him and called him, and a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. Hey, Jesus, your family's here to pick you up. And he answered, he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and my sister and my mother, man, it's, it might be that we read that. Some might read that and go, hey, I think what Jesus is doing is he's devaluing earthly family. He's devaluing our flesh and our blood family. Uh, maybe that doesn't matter to God. That's not what Jesus is saying at all. Hey, remember, Jesus is the one that placed you in your family. He's the one that gave to you your mother and your father and your brothers and your sisters. Even when it feels like it's a mess, even when it feels like they're totally imperfect, he's the one that put us into our flesh and blood family. But what Jesus is saying here is, hey, I've actually come to do something deeper. I've come to give you an even deeper family than your own flesh and your blood. Psalm 27 says, you may be rejected by your father. You may be rejected by your mother, but the work of God the Father is to always keep you and always bind you up. Hey, if you're born into an earthly family, the tie is as deep as your own flesh and blood. And that's tight, isn't it? But I think as many of us have experienced, your flesh and your blood can walk away. They can hurt you. They can turn on you. They can say some really awful things about you. They can walk away forever and fall out of a relationship with them. But when you're born into the spiritual family of Jesus, it's not your flesh and blood that ties you. It's his flesh and blood ties us together, makes us spiritual family. It unites us. We're united by his life and his death and his resurrection. Those are the things that tie us together. And if those things tie us together, it has to be something stronger than that that's going to separate us. And there's nothing stronger than that. So today, I just want to say, man, you feel the tension of like, I'm being brought into the spiritual family. And I'm, I'm recognizing that I've been brought in to the spiritual family of God. Jesus has, has purchased my entrance into this family. And, I, and now I have these brothers and sisters that really love me. And I'm feeling the tension 
of the way that maybe I'm feeling separated from my flesh and blood family. Maybe I'm feeling the tension of the reality that like, hey, I believe something now. I believe it really deeply and I'm a part of this family. But over here, I've got this flesh and blood family and they just don't believe. You feel the tension of that today? Let me just remind you, Jesus's family didn't believe. He had family that didn't believe. It was James, his own brother, wrote one of the letters in the New Testament, didn't even come to believe in him until after the resurrection. So man, we don't know what God is doing, but sometimes it feels like we're just in the middle of a big mess. And hey, the Spirit of God is working. Spirit of God is doing stuff. The kingdom of God is advancing. You pray with me? Jesus, we look to you today and um, we just say, even in the middle of a mess, we want grace to trust you. And spirit of the living God, we need your help to look and see Jesus. We need your help to trust him. We need your help to know that when things feel really upside down in our lives or with our own family, you really have a plan. You really are working. We don't get to see the end until we get there today, would you help us to remember that you see it all? You see the beginning, you see the end, you see, you see us all the way through. And until that day that we get to see the end, we get to be your family. We get to have one another. We get to be your sons and daughters. We get to have the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So where we need that today, we ask that you'd come again and comfort us. In Jesus' name, amen.